in the book of Ecclesiastes. Sam is gone, but, uh, but the series is going to continue nonetheless. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise up your hands. We'll get a Bible in your hands. Then we'll go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Corey, what happened to your pink hair? What? It was, it was, it was like a crown of glory upon your head. Beautiful. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together, Lord, this opportunity to be with one another, to get into your word. I pray, Lord, that it would be a blessing, that it would be beneficial, that we would leave here uh, maybe more knowledgeable about you, more in love with you, and just walking closer to you. And I just pray that that we wouldn't ever come here out of mere ritual, simply because it's something that we always do, but that we would come here expecting to hear from you, expecting to receive from you. Lord, I do believe that you have something for each and every one of us, so I pray that you would uh, move the, the obstacles in our hearts so that we can hear. And I pray that in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I, uh, I, I got to say, by way of introduction, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books in all the Bible. I was excited uh, to continue in Sam's series. I actually asked him if I could do this. He, uh, he, uh, and I'm not going to take offense. He had someone else scheduled to guest speak. It fell through. It's okay. I'm, I'm all right with that. And uh, okay, being, okay being the second choice. And uh, so he, uh, he, he said, okay, I need you to, I need you to fill in. And I said, okay. And, uh, and, and then I went home and I, I started thinking of different things to do. And then I said, you know, the one thing I think I would like to do is continue in Ecclesiastes. Because uh, I just, I love this book. I underestimated how difficult it is to preach a message where the essential idea of the book is uh, life is meaningless. You know, <laughs> and that's... That's not an easy thing to do. You know, you get up here and it's like, hey, life is meaningless. It's unfair. There's very little satisfaction in it outside of eating and drinking. This is the best you could possibly do. And you're all here to listen to something that's going to uplift you. I'm sure you came here uh, with that, uh, that motivation in mind. You're like, hey, I'm going to come there. I'm going to be blessed. And then I'm going to send you out of here and you're going to be thoroughly depressed. Uh, because it's, it's just that kind of book. And there's, there's, you know, there's not much I can do about it. And the, the burden of it is weighing heavy upon my heart. You know, y'all got up this morning and you had your breakfast, your Cheerios, because they're heart healthy or whatever it is you eat in the morning. And, you know, you're eating there and you're happy and you drive out here and it's a nice drive to church. The trees, they're beautiful. Sun's shining, it's a glorious day. And then you come here and you're like, wow, Michael terribly depressed me. And I just can't wait to, to get out of here. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to soften the blow a little bit uh, of the content of this book uh, by learning a little bit about the author of the book by way of introduction. Let me just say Solomon was a man that, that and he was the most wise man uh, of his time, but he was a man that left uh, the glory of the Lord to play in the sandbox of sin. And, and he writes from that perspective, from the perspective of a person who, uh, who was just once uh, so close to the Lord and is now just so distant from the Lord. The type of person uh, that, that is, and he's a wise person, he's a, he's a brilliant person, 
but he's made uh, what, you, what you can easily call one of the most foolish decisions that you will ever read about in the entire Bible. You know, a, a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, Boo and I, we celebrated our two-year anniversary, Corinne, for some of you people that don't come out on Thursday. On Thursday, it's much more casual. I'm able to call her Boo, and, uh, and everyone understands that. That's Corinne. It's my wife. We celebrated our two-year wedding anniversary. We went, went down to... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It's nice. <laughs> I should have wrote pause for applause right there. I didn't. I couldn't foresee that. But uh, it was our two-year two wedding anniversary. Went out to Newport Beach. And uh, I, I, you might guess by the appearance of me, I don't spend a whole lot of time at the beach. Uh, but, and I went to the beach essentially dressed just like this. Uh, walking out there and everyone's like, wow, who's that, who's that monster? But, uh, but anyways, we went to Newport Beach and, and we got this uh, little hotel for the weekend. And it was a nice little place. I can't remember the name of the place. She probably would. Oh, she just shrugged. Your memory's going too. Old age. I tell you, it happens to the best of us. But uh, we had this nice little place. It was just two days we were going to be out there. And, and there was an odor there, but that's okay. You know, it was, it was very affordable. And uh, that's, that's fine. And, uh, and we went down. We checked in. We went to the front desk. And, and the, the guy said, are you familiar with the area? And we said, no, not, not really. And so he took out this little map, spread it out on the counter, and he began to highlight areas on the map, you know, to give us kind of a tour of the area. He said, okay, you can go this area, and this is where all the restaurants are, some really good restaurants over there. And we're like, okay. He highlighted another area, and he said, okay, you can go over there. This is where the clubs are, so if you want to go out tonight and get it popping, and I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> but but <laughs> that was part of the explanation. And... Uh, I think I'm going to pass on the poppin'. But um, he said, if you want to go out, you can go out. This is where the clubs are. He circled another area. He said, this is uh, Balboa Island. You can go to Balboa Island. It's a beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's nice. Circled it on our little map. And then, of course, he, he you know, drew a straight line right from the hotel, and it was a very short line. He said, right across the street, this is where the beach is. That's the beach right there. That's why we picked this place. It was right next to the beach. Beautiful location, the beach. And, and then he circled another area on back of the hotel and said, uh, and this is, uh, behind the hotel, it's the playground. There's a little sandbox there where the kids play. And, and I spent so much of that weekend trying to process that in my mind. Who would come all the way out there <laughs> to the beach, the beautiful beach? You know, it's, it's just the magnificence of the beach. And, and the, the ocean uh, in front of the beach it stretches as far as the eye can see, just filled with glory and majesty. And you would go all the way out there to the beach and then go behind the hotel and play in a sandbox. <laughs> it just, it made absolutely no sense to him. But this is essentially what Solomon did. And for 16 years, this is, this is what I did. Squandered 16 years of my life in the sandbox of sin, with artificial joys that pale in comparison to the beauty and majesty set before us at the beach of the Lord. Oh, and there I gathered with all my little friends in the sandbox, my bucket and shovel, thinking, oh, this is where the fun is. This is where true pleasure and satisfaction is. And how wrong I was. What a lie it is. What a deception it is. And this is what Samson comes to find out that in all of its attempts, 
the sandbox could not duplicate the glory of the beach. And he comes to write all these lessons for us. You know, here was a man that lived on the beach, had a wondrous life on the beach, retreated to the sandbox because he thought that it could offer him something that the beach could not. And every page of this book, he's come to the same conclusion and offered us another lesson. That after a time in the sandbox there, he threw down his pail, threw down his bucket and said, it's meaningless. It's pointless. The choices I've made have been empty, filled with vanity. And this week is going to be no exception. We get from uh, the teacher another observation. We begin here in chapter 8, in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 8.1, he writes, Who is like the wise man? That's right, listen up now. <laughs> Who knows the explanation of things. Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Solomon, the most wise man who ever lived, right? Before him, there was no match. And yet, ironically, he writes this passage. Wisdom will brighten you. You have, to ask yourself the, you have to ask yourself the question, did wisdom brighten Solomon? I don't know about you, but, but he doesn't seem like a sunny day to me. You know, he, he seems like the guy that, that ruins everyone's good time at the party. And we've all gathered together every Sunday, and this is what we do here so commonly, and we are those that have received the wisdom of the Lord according to this verse, and it's brightened us. Every single Sunday you walk in here, big, happy, smiling faces, the lot of you. You just look like you've been softened by the Lord, filled with the glory and love of the Lord. And Solomon is like, this is what happens with wisdom. But is this what happened to Solomon in all of his wisdom? That was completely the opposite for Solomon. He went out and sought this worldly wisdom, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. You know, David would write, is Solomon's very father in Psalm 30, verse 11. You turned my mourning into dancing. You removed sackcloth and clothed me with joy. We come in here and our faces are shining, hearts filled with the joy of the Lord. If this was a Pentecostal church, you might even be dancing, uh, but it's not, so don't. You know, but it's, it's like that's, it's, and Solomon comes in and, and he just says, hey, 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 in, in case you didn't know, life is meaningless. And he closes the door. You're like, wow, that was really... It was really kind of a bummer. We were all happy. We we're all celebrating like David wrote. And he comes back in and he says, hey, by the way, you want me to tell you why it's meaningless? I wish you wouldn't. Okay, I will. And he continues to. And now we have, starting in verse 2, another reason, according to Solomon, why life is meaningless. In verse 2, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's uh, misery weighs heavily upon him. This is a difficult verse to apply because it's, 
it's different for us. We don't have a king, we have a president, you know, and, and we don't take an oath to him. His word isn't supreme. And as Americans, we can all exercise uh, the, the right to say exactly what Solomon told us not to say, which is, what are you doing? You know, with our leader, we can all say, what are you doing? On vacation again, playing golf, you know? You get back to work like the rest of us. I should leave politics out of it. But we don't have a king. What is the point of this passage for us? Ted, too much? Really? It's golf. I mean, everyone loves golf. That's all I was talking about. And I labored to find the application for you fine people. Got up early, got all gussied out, got out here. I couldn't merely read the passage and say, hey, this is in the Bible. If you ever wanted to know where it is, now you do. Moving on. And, and after all, whenever I come to a verse like this, I always think of what Tony told me a couple of weeks ago, where I was struggling and he was sitting there watching me studying and he said, hey, if it's in the Bible, it's got to be there for a reason. And so six times I came to this verse and six times I came up empty saying, we don't have a king, so what could it possibly mean to us? And on the seventh time, I realized something that many of you, no doubt, uh, that are already more cunning and crafty than I am in my natural order have already realized, which is the fact that we do have a king. Jesus Christ is our king, the king of kings, even as Paul would say in 1 Timothy 6.15. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, it's Jesus. And Solomon says in his text today that, that, that if you have such a king, then, then you need to come before him and, and, and it's time to take an oath to him. He's the rightful sovereign over you. And many of you have taken such an oath today, given your life to him. You've decided to follow him. You've decided to be a person brought into his kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom. And according to verse 3, if we take Christ as our king, then we should not be hasty to leave his presence. You know, you have to wonder what Solomon's life would look like if he understood God as his own king and took this advice for himself. Now, where a man here simply says, listen, if this is your king, then don't be hasty to leave him. Dwell with him. Stay before him. There are joys in the presence of him. This is a good time for us to remind ourselves of the story of Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10, you can turn there. In Luke chapter 10, this is a story that no doubt all of you are familiar with. Martha invites Jesus over to her house, and she's busy with work. While she's doing all this, her, her lazy sister is sitting around. And she goes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, aren't you told my lazy, good-for-nothing sister to get to work? I'm the one doing all the work around here, and it's not fair. And what does Jesus say to her? In verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And you would say simply, I don't need you to work for me as much as I want you to simply sit with me. And don't be hasty to leave me. Just dwell in the presence of me. 
Sit down with your Savior on the beach of your salvation. This is what he desires of us, is to merely be in his presence. And Solomon says, uh, beginning in verse 5, that there, there are certain things that are going to begin to happen as you cultivate this relationship, as you're not hasty to separate yourself from this relationship. The natural uh, recourse in the life of the person that puts themselves in this position is that they will begin, according to verse 5, to understand the proper procedure and the proper time of things. Your eyes will be open to insights that only God himself could understand. When you're sitting before him, spending time with him, you'll begin to understand what to do and when to do it. I'll never forget an earnest young Christian that came to me when I was at Upland and he, he, he asked for an appointment. And I believe that in my uh, several years uh, as youth minister at Upland, he was the only person that ever actually asked for an appointment. And uh, he came in and he sat across from me. And in the silence of the room, he stared intently into my eyes with a look of severity on his face. And, and, and he simply said, okay, what does God want me to do with my life? And he said, I've come to you, tell me. He took a deep breath. Go, I'm ready. <laughs> I said, I'm flattered, but you came to the wrong person. You know, I don't go to my coworkers to find out the thoughts and desires of my boss. You just... you're asking the wrong person. The word that God gave to Mary and Martha is the same word that he's going to give to us today, where it's simply this. The one thing you need to do is hang out with me. That's how you'll know. How do I know? Where to go? What to do? When to do it? Jesus says, just come alongside of me. Get alone with me. Don't be hasty to leave me. Because you'll be illuminated by the presence of me. Psalm 119, you can write it down. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a promise that illumination is going to come with proximity. And as you're there with him, questions are going to melt away. What do I do with my life? What is God's will for my life? It's simply this, just hang out with me. That's what he would say to us. Just draw close to me. Spend time with me. You need to realize what you get with me, and it's simply that you will be illuminated by me. And consequently, you'll be able to determine the time and the procedure. You'll be able to see things clearly. Just stick with me, and don't worry. What a wonderful king we serve, in all ways superior to Solomon's version of the earthly king. Solomon's going to continue with the king, and he's going to begin to point out the limitations of the king, because after all, the king is merely a man in his mind. In verse 7, since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind, or if you're reading it in a different version, it's going to say the spirit. No man has power over the wind, this word uh, commonly used for the Spirit of God, to contain it. No one has power over the day of his death. And no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness 
will not release those who practice it. No one knows the future. Right? The future is filled with mysteries. Or mysteries, not miseries. Well, kind of. I don't know, maybe. And, and we're powerless. <laughs> that, was, that was dark. And we're powerless to face it. Powerless in the sight of death. The day of death. The inevitability of death. Even the greatest kings can do nothing in the presence over it. They're bound by the authority of it. And how could Solomon know that 900 years after his own death as king, there would come a king that would conquer death, not just for himself, but for the citizens of his kingdom. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15, 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, a verse that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just power over death. Our king in all ways superior to Solomon's king. Not just power over death, but power over the spirit. John 6, 63. I'm going to give you a memory verse today. There's one verse that we should all be able to memorize. is John 6, 63. The spirit gives life. Hey, how hard is that, right? The Spirit gives life. No king has power over death. No king has power over the Spirit. And our king has power over both. And he freely gives it to those that are not hasty to leave him, that stick around with him, that have taken an oath to follow him. You know, it would be enough, and and I began to think about this as I was working on the message. I, I think that it would be enough if he just gave us power over death. Right? Wouldn't that be enough? Be like, hey, it's great. Now I don't have to suffer the torment of death and separation, eternal. And, but it's more than that. He also gives us his spirit, which gives us life. You know, Max, uh, Max Lucado, um, I'm sure many of you have read his books. I, I never really read any of them, but a pastor, a pastor friend of mine was retiring and uh, so he gave me his entire library. So it's like, I don't need to ever read anything about God again. Here you go. And so, <laughs> so I took all of his books. And, uh, and I was reading one of Max Lucado's books, and it's called He Came Near. And in this uh, book, he's, he's attempting to describe what redemption is like, what this new life is like. And he tells the story of a man who was uh, 51 years old, had been blind his entire life. And... Uh, finally, there was the technology and the surgery available to correct this defect, and he opened his eyes for the first time seeing, and he was absolutely overwhelmed. And, and the man said, uh, when he opened his eyes and saw color, he said, I never imagined that yellow could be so yellow. <laughs> I, never, I, I never imagined red. I mean, the beauty of red, uh, the moon. No one could describe to me accurately the glory that I see fully and the sunsets. The most beautiful majesty painted in the sky by our creator. And you're like, wow, Michael, you're a cream puff. Listen, I don't know how else to describe it. I really don't. 
you know, when I was 16 and I gave my life to Christ and he put that life in me that we're talking about today, it was like opening my eyes for the first time and seeing a world that I'd never seen before. Who has power to do any of these things? Solomon would say no one. No one has power over death. No one has power over the spirit. Not even the greatest kings of the earth. But our king, the king of kings, not only has the power over them, but he has the power to impart them. And he does so freely with anybody who would come to him. The wise old sage continues, verse 9. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried. And those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this, this, too, is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are uh, reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. It's like it just dawned on him. Yeah, I thought of something else meaningless. Righteous men who, uh, who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too is, uh, this too I say is meaningless. So life is unfair. Life is unfair. And the bit old man, bitter old man, he clenches his cane and, and you know, shakes his fist in the air. It's unfair. Wicked people. They live a long life and get lots of stuff. And good people. They die young. And they don't get anything. It's a terrible thing. This is not the way it should be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And whenever we say that, we might as well come right out and say what we're honestly thinking. And what we're really saying when we say those things is, if I were God, this is not the way I would do things. Life is unfair. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. If I were God, this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. If I was running this ship, everything would be fair. And what, is God falling asleep? You know, it's like, why do the good guys go nowhere and the bad guys get fat paychecks and reality shows? You know? It's like, if I were God, nobody would know who the Kardashians were. You know? Thankfully, I'm not God. I actually watch the show periodically. But, <laughs> but you know, it's this, it's this mentality. Psalm 73, turn there with me. Asaph is dealing with a similar issue. Asaph dealing with the same things that Solomon saw in the world, only he's seeing them before Solomon saw them in the world. He makes similar observations, but comes to a completely different conclusion. Psalm 73, verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. And they increase in wealth. This is the life that the wicked live. They're carefree. And the increase in wealth. You know, I was watching, uh, I was watching MTV Cribs 
not that long ago, and it was uh, Paris Hilton's episode. And she was, you know, taking the camera crew through her house, and they got to her closet. And uh, I don't know if you saw that particular episode. You all look like the type of people that commonly watch <laughs> MTV Cribs. That's why I say that, because I know that you're all savvy. So MTV Cribs, Paris Hilton, she's taking everyone through their house and they get to her closet. And her closet was as big as our entire house. Granted, I live in a pretty small house, but she had this multi-room closet, you know, different rooms for her shoes and, and different rooms for her uh, occasional attire. This is the Golden Globe room and this is, you know, the red carpet room and all of this. And, and she was taking everyone through it. And, and, and she actually said, and I quote, I hate that I never have anything to wear. I hate that I never have anything to wear. She was taking out clothes from her closet, throwing them on the bed, and they still had tags on them. And, and I thought, I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of the king and his kingdom. I have two pairs of pants. I washed them several times throughout the week so that I could rewear them. It's completely unfair that I'm a child of God and I have two pairs of pants and she's Paris Hilton and she has a closet as big as my house. And I don't know the status of her salvation and I don't want to judge her, but she's living this carefree life with increasing wealth. I thought something is wrong here. Right? This is exactly what Asaph saw when he looked into the lives of these people. He's like, this is not right. Why should they have this type of life and I have the life I got? You know, what's, what's, what's going on here? You know, and, 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 it, and it seems like and maybe you've been there, maybe you are there, where you would be sitting, you know, where you're at listening to me and saying, you know, life lately has not been like the beach, Michael. It's been hard and harsh. And I understand it's a, it's a beautiful one, a little illustration you got going on there. But it's not an accurate picture of my life presently. It's not a beach for me. It's, it, it's been difficult for me. And I've begun to look across the way at those in the sandbox and they seem happy. They seem satisfied completely. And you begin to long for the life that you've left. And this is where Asaph is at. And it's a wonderfully transparent psalm that he writes. Continuing in verse 13, he says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. And you would say, listening to me today, in vain have I taken this oath. You know, it was a mistake. And maybe for me, as you stand up, and, and the best thing for me would be to just leave the presence of the king and go across the street to the sandbox, to the sandbox and, and, and maybe take a bucket and a shovel and dig right in and have a merry time because they certainly do seem to be having fun. In verse 14, he continues, All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. 
Oh, and what a terrible place to be when your heart is filled with such thoughts, but you can't vocalize them to anybody for fear of judgment. And he's saying, I, I have all these, these things that are tormenting me, these thoughts that are just plaguing me, and, and this longing inside of me, this sense of dissatisfaction when I see what other people have, and then I take a look at my own life, and who can I talk to about it that won't say you're a terrible, filthy, rotten sinner? And so he keeps it to himself. And in verse 16, he writes, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. In verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. He finally came into the sanctuary of God, and he understood their final destination. What a sobering thought. But this is the reality that escapes Solomon, and this is the reality that can escape me from time to time, that this life truly is unfair. Right? Can we admit that here today? Life is unfair, but it is unfair for them. It's unfair for the Paris Hiltons of the world, those people that get everything while others get seemingly nothing, because life might be good for them, but at best, it's a day at the sandbox for them. And it'll soon be over for them. It's unfair for them because without Christ, the satisfaction of life, even the greatest satisfaction of life, is going to be a breath in light of eternity. It's terribly unfair for them. They live in a world and receive so much satisfaction from this world because this world is under the blessing, mercy of God. We live in a world that is constantly being shown the kindness of God. And you can look at these people, peer into their lives and say, I might not have much, but I have him. He's the source of all the blessing, of all the kindness. So I don't need the stuff when I've got the person. This world is terribly unfair, and consequently, I feel sorry for the parasultans of the world because they have so little and are in need of such great and lasting riches. Solomon continues in verse 15. It'll be the last verse that we talk about for the, for the morning. It says, so I commend the enjoyment of life. If life is so unfair, if nothing ever works out right, then this is what you're supposed to do. Verse 15. Just try and enjoy life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of his life God has given him under the sun. Solomon ends his, uh, his wonderfully encouraging passage this morning by telling us that the best thing that we can do in this life is just eat, drink, and be merry. And it's really good advice. It is really good advice. It's the advice that my, my dogs live by every day. 
this could this could definitely be their life verse. You know, it's every single day. Uh, you know, you give them a bowl of food and a bowl of water, and there's nothing but merriment to be had by them. And they're frolicking around in the yard and terrorizing the community and and all that good stuff. But uh, something happens, right? And 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 it's it's consistent. It always happens around 10 o'clock every night. And Boo knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Spurgeon, our big uh, bulldog, he's got this. He's got this head like a brick. Um, he starts slamming his face into our door uh, <laughs> because he's he's eaten and and he he did have his fill of drink and and he wants nothing more than to be with his master. The amazing thing about it is. That, that it's a truth so simple, even my bulldog could figure it out. And, and he's the only dog that Sam couldn't train. <laughs> Sam spent hours with that dog. Couldn't get him to do a single thing. But at the end of the night, he realizes that the one thing that he really wants, more than anything else in the world, more than kibbles and bits, more than begging strips, and those are delicious for a dog. I don't know, I haven't tried it, you know. Maybe, I don't know, it's bacon. But, uh, but he's sick of being outside, and he wants nothing more than to sit next to us, to be petted by us, to receive the affection that comes from us. And this is exactly what he's called us to. Solomon is saying, all you need, and listen, all you need, nourishment for your body, that's the best you could do. And there's something inside of every single one of us that says, nourishment for my body is not enough. I crave nourishment for my soul. To be before my king, to sit in his presence, receive the affection of him. And you can say at the end of the day, I don't care about all that stuff. I don't care about the kibbles and bits and the wonderful treasures that people like Paris Hilton have because I have something exceedingly great and beautiful. And it's the relationship that I share with my king, my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to be hasty to leave him. This is the best place that I could possibly be, is sitting before him. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word for us today. I thank you that as we come to you and press on the door that opens to you, you're faithful to open up, allow us in, to give us what you have won through your own actions victory over death and new life through your spirit. Pray, Lord, for every person here that that's exactly what we would leave with. With new life, seeing the world through your eyes. Lord, that we wouldn't be drawn to the simple pleasures of the playground of sin. We wouldn't be satisfied by the sandbox any longer 
that we would come maybe to the same conclusion to, uh, that Solomon came to and simply say there's no meaning out there. The best that it could offer is nourishment for my body. And we'd get up from that place and cross the street to your beach and sit before you in salvation. We'd be close to you to receive the illumination that only comes from you. And that we would not be hasty to leave you. Lord, I do praise you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.